0: All right, take your Bibles. Go ahead to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9 is where we are going to be just for a few brief moments. If you are here this morning and you are sensing that not only are there a bunch of people here, but there's a lot of wiggling going on, there is a lot of wiggling going on. And it's glorious, isn't it? Our church is filled with young people and most of them are in here with us this morning, so... We bless and thank God for them, and we are incredibly grateful for the Wiggles. It also gives me an excuse to be just as wiggly. Second Samuel chapter 9 this morning, we are talking about celebrating God's faithfulness as God's people. It is something that we do regularly on Sundays here at Uniontown Bible Church, and it's something that I believe every single one of us needs to do a better job of. I think there are things that occur in our lives. We can be low, we can be discouraged, we can even be depressed, we can be overwhelmed. We can feel like we're all alone. But even in those moments, God is worthy of our celebration. Even in the darkest of days, God is still good. And I know it doesn't feel like that sometimes. And I know there's times where, If you're like me, and and maybe you're not, and so maybe I'm about to get fired. We'll find out. You're driving in your vehicle alone, and you are crying out to God, you have got to be kidding me. Does that sound like any of your prayers? Man, I am thankful that Bluetooth doesn't work all the time. But you know what I do know? Is that in the middle of those frustrating and difficult moments that I have been given something I don't deserve. And it's called grace. And that's what we're going to celebrate today. This story in 2 Samuel chapter 9 uh, really was not on my radar other than just my normal uh, everyday Bible reading. And I read it and I love this story. It's this, this hidden jewel in the Old Testament here in 2 Samuel and 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 I really think that it it captures the idea of grace in a way that many stories don't. Contextually, you're looking at a time where King David has come into power. King David is now ruling over the country. King Saul has been removed as king. King David is in complete control and everything is going ridiculously well for King David. I mean, so much so, you look back in chapter 8 of 2 Samuel uh, verse 14, at the end there, it says, The Lord made David victorious wherever he went. How many of you would love that to be on your tombstone? Everywhere he went seemed to win. might as touch. But see, that's true about David right now. Everything was going fantastic. He was having victories in battle. There was great prosperity because of those victories in battle. And the people, the people thought he was amazing. The people thought David could do no wrong. How many of you wish you could have that on your tombstone? Yeah, as, as someone who, who has had to try to make decisions through COVID, me too. Made every decision right. Never messed up once. <sighs> there is nobody left in Saul's family. Every claim to the royal throne has been removed, not necessarily by David, but by David's men. And I'll tell you, young people, this afternoon you go home and the football game just gets a little bit boring, not that that ever happens. I'm not even going to make a Ravens joke because it's a day to celebrate God's faithfulness. Next week, though. No, uh, so when you get home and you start watching the game, it's a little boring. What I want you to do is open your Bible, go to 2 Samuel 1, read chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. I don't care what kind of action heroes you like, you read those chapters and your mind is going to be blown at some of the stories that are there. And what you find is God is working through even sinful man to accomplish his purposes. And now we get to this place where there's nobody left in, in Saul's family, it's just King David, and he, he takes a moment to to kind of recap everything that is in front of him, you get the sense that he's looking at his kingdom and like, God has blessed me so very much. And let's, let, me, let me read chapter 9, starting verse 1. As David, I believe, is reflecting, this is the question that comes to his mind. Chapter 9, verse 1. David asked, is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? There was a servant of Saul's family named Ziba, They summoned him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? I am your servant, he replied. So the king asked, Is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to? Ziba said to the king, Well, there's still Jonathan's son who was injured in both feet. And the king asked him, Where is he? Ziba answered, You'll find him at Lodbar at the house of Makir." Son of Amiel. So, so actually there is somebody left in Saul's family. There is somebody who, if you fast forward 15, 20, 30 years from now, could get these ideas of grandeur in his mind to be like, I want to be king. I have a claim to the throne. It was my granddaddy's throne. I'm going to be king and lead a rebellion. That's true in a lot of historical contexts. You see that all over the place. And so, so as David is reflecting, he asks the question, is there anyone remaining from Saul's family? That's not an unusual question because usually the new king would ask the question is there anybody remaining from Saul's family so I could kill them? Solidify my hold and the hold of my lineage on this throne. Zeba comes and says, There is one, and it he's Jonathan's son, Jonathan being David's best friend. What do you want with him, king? I want to show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. That is a completely different perspective. He's not going for revenge. He's not going to make sure that he protects himself and his family. He wants to show kindness. Ziba hearing this, uh, you almost get the sense that when he lays this out, there's like, uh, there's one, there's one, uh, I'll tell you about him, there's one, it's Jonathan's son, but... uh, You don't want to show kindness to that kid. He's injured in both feet. He's no good to you. He's handicapped. He's no good to you. You don't want to show kindness to him. He won't add anything to your royal uh, leadership. He won't add anything to you. He's He's lame in both feet. He is handicapped. And how how did that happen? Well, we find out back in 2 Samuel chapter 4 when King Saul was killed and then Jonathan was killed. Mephibosheth was the the next one in line and the maid, the the nurse who was caring for Mephibosheth, heard about the deaths of his daddy and his granddaddy and, and in love... And in an attempt to protect him, 2 Samuel chapter 4 tells us she, she scooped him up and she began to ran, run for the hills. She wanted to get out of dust. She wanted to escape the oncoming attack that certainly would happen as the, as the, the leadership, as the, the rule and the reign transferred powers to a new dynasty. Let's get out of here. And she picks up little Mephibosheth and she runs. And in her haste, she drops him. And somehow he is injured, paralyzed, where neither of his legs worked. Now I love the fact that when Ziba says there is still Jonathan's son who who is he's injured in both feet, David doesn't ask how injured. He doesn't ask is he functioning? Is he not? That's not on David's radar at all. His his radar is simply the next question, verse four: Where is he? Well, you know where he is. He's in this place called Lo Debar. It's a wasteland. It's a place people would escape to so they could never be found. So, so you get the picture that this man, young man, who was dropped, who was now paralyzed, he's living in isolation. He is living in hiding. He believes that he is an enemy of the state, and he doesn't want anybody to find him. But then verse 5, King David had him brought from the house of Makir, son of Emiel, to Lo, in Lodabar. Suddenly, Mephibosheth, in isolation, hiding from everybody, sees the king's soldiers approaching, and you know what's going through his head, right? They found me. It's all over. And they take Mephibosheth and they bring him before the king. And as Mephibosheth comes into the presence of the king, verse 6, it says he falls on his face and he pays homage. And David says, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth says, I'm your servant. David's response then is, don't be afraid. Mephibosheth is terrified. Rightly so, right? He's got no reason to be living. He is of no use to the king. He's an enemy of the state. The king wants to see him. This can only mean one thing. He comes into the presence of the king and he falls on his face before the king in a a picture of, of, of honor, of homage, of submission and says, I just want to be your servant. David says, No, 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 you misunderstood. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Look at verse 7. Don't be afraid, because I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I'll restore to you all your grandfather Saul's fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. And Mephibosheth paid homage again and said, What is your servant that you would take an interest in a dead dog like me? David says, Don't be afraid. I want to show you kindness, faithfulness, a covenant promise being kept. That word is chesed in the Hebrew. Chesed is unearned. It is undeserved. It cannot be bought. The one who receives chesed from the giver is almost always in need and is unable to do anything in return. David says, no, no, I'm going to show you my said, I'm going to return to you the land that was your granddaddy's. So in that instant, this dude who is paralyzed in his legs, has been hiding in the wasteland, is considered an enemy of the state. In that instant, he goes from absolute poverty to one of the most wealthiest men in the known world. Like that. But even better than that, not only will I restore to you the fields, but you will always eat meals at my table. You will be my adopted son. You will dine every time we dine. You will eat the finest meat and drink the greatest wine. You will be a part of my family every time we gather. It is way better than Olive Garden. You are you are family! You are you are family, and his response is No 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 why? I'm just a dead dog. Now, I know a lot of you have dogs, a lot of you have pets. I've made jokes in the past that have actually gotten me into trouble. I will not be making jokes. But dogs in this day is very different than dogs today. A dog in this day was just a scoundrel, was 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 infection, in, it was infested, it was a diseased, it was... Nobody wanted a dog near their tent. The only good dog was a dead dog. And they would look at this dog that was deceased, and they would, if they noticed it was there, they would say, we're so much better off now. Mephibosheth sees himself and says, I... I don't bring any value. I am broken. But David says, I'm going to show you the kindness like you have never seen before. Chesed, and I'm not doing it because you are well put together, that you're, because you're wealthy, because you've accomplished something, because you can gain something for me in my, in my reign. I am doing it for you because of a relationship that you have. You're Jonathan's son. So I will share my kindness, my covenant faithfulness on you. Last verse of this chapter, verse 13. Let me go to the middle of 11, actually. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table, just like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. All those living in Ziba's house were Mephibosheth's servants. However, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. His feet had been injured. And that's how it ends. Kind of a weird concluding statement, right? Like, oh, oh, just in case you forgot. Why, Why would the author put that at the end? Because it's important for you and I to understand the reason Mephibosheth was at the table had nothing to do with his brokenness. It had to do with the kindness of the king. Ladies and gentlemen, this room is filled with the Mephibosheths. Every single one of us has been broken in our sin. And what God has done is he has demonstrated an immeasurable level of faithful, loving kindness on us. He promised that a redeemer would come. He promised that we would be rescued from our brokenness that the sin has brought into our lives and the word of God became truth, fulfilled, promise achieved. When the angels said glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men. Shepherds, I've got good news for you. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us. This room is filled with Mephibosheths, people who are lame and crippled by sin. And yet, this room is filled by Mephibosheths, those who have been carried by Jesus to the table of the Father. In Jesus, you have everything you need. He's taken you from moral and spiritual poverty, and in an instant, He has transferred you into the kingdom of God. In an instant, he has given you the immeasurable riches of grace and kindness in Jesus Christ. In this room sit a a number of Mephibosheths who have been made a child of the king. Not because of their natural birth order, not because of their achievement, but because of the grace of God. Listen, stop saying, I'm just a citizen in God's kingdom. Get rid of that language. You are a child of the king. You are no citizen. The most high God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to rescue you from your brokenness. And that's why we celebrate God's faithfulness, because he's not done doing that yet. Those names that you wrote, it's not some silly little exercise that this church just drives me crazy. I'll just write Bob. Those names on those papers are the names of future children of God. They're the names of those that Jesus Christ came to die and save. Your name was on somebody's page once. As the choir comes up, let me take just a final minute to encourage you. What Mephibosheth expected when he walked into the presence of the king was death. And instead, he received grace from a king who was faithful to his word. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason we gather together today and celebrate the faithfulness of God is because there is a better king than David. There is a greater king than David. There is a more perfect king than David. There is a more gracious king than David. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he has taken us from our brokenness. He has taken us from our failure. He has taken us from our sin. And he said, that one, that broken one, that loser is mine. And so someday, someday soon, we just sang it, didn't we? Someday soon, you are going to sit at that table. And you're going to look face to face with your Savior, Jesus Christ. And what you are going to see is chesed, a kindness like no other. And you'll be reduced to glorious tears. Thank God he is faithful. Father, thank you for your people. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for the redemption we can have in Christ. I ask that you would make us a more faithful follower and that we would celebrate you well. Thank you for being our worthy Savior. It's in his name I pray. Amen.